Hello, this is Seneca. Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Myself, Chats Between a Father and Son, or in some alternative reality, two twins born mysteriously 22 years apart. Who can say? We're going to be talking today about our emotional lives and how we can live in abundance instead of living out of scarcity and fear. It's a good conversation, one I need to go listen to again, frankly. It's good for me. As usual with us, there's plenty of cursing, so if that bothers you, stop now. Uh, or if you're with other folks who it might bother, good time for some headphones. I hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks for listening. One day, fairly recently, I was chatting with someone, and I've been making very strong advances on actually getting out of story prison. That is to say the construct I built about my life and what it is, which I realized was complete fiction at this point. So I could rewrite it. And I was talking with this person about something and making arrangements that would alter a variety of different relationships. And this individual said to me, okay, regardless of all that, I would like to see you Stop living in poverty. Mm -hmm. Full stop. At which point I had some food. It did not make it to my mouth. It was suspended in the air. While the full effect of that statement coming from someone who was very kind sank in. I didn't have to say, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. I was fully aware of what that person meant. I live in this big warehouse which is in some ways quite luxurious, really lovely, stupidly New York art space with no shower. That was the particular, and they weren't talking about that. They were talking about yeah. the emotional and spiritual poverty that I had held myself in by not freeing myself to do things that left me feeling joyful acting in a way that I felt excited about and really engaging my life, not being hermetical and in some ways oddly self-diminished. That was pretty strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not even in some ways, I would suggest. Like, oh, in, all, yeah. in all the ways. I, so this is, this is something I wanted to talk about because it's something that we share. And I like this way of getting at it. So like the idea of there being such a thing as an emotional poverty is a, kind of a powerful phrase to me because it's very evocative and it feels very true. So I think that it's safe to say that most of us for most of our lives wander around with some story, some story prison, like you say it, that is about some negative core belief, some something we tell ourselves consistently time after time after time that is untrue, but we've built in to such a high degree and walled off from any other deconstructive efforts that it is it has become a, a key component of us. And this is what like various, you know, you can call it whatever you want, the ego, the shadow, the uh, our pain bodies, the um, the way some folks have described it, um, whatever the fuck those things are. And what's interesting to me is that I think uh, in some ways through different pathways, I think you and I kind of share uh, a big chunk of what that negative core belief is, although we, I think we got to it in different ways. But so what I wanted to talk about is 
how do we stop living in emotional poverty? How do we stop impoverishing ourselves? So to me, what's interesting is like your living situation. And then, you know, before this, just so people know, like before this, you were living in an off grid, weird cabin in the woods with no heat and <laughs> no electricity. <laughs> I don't yeah. forget the no electricity part. <laughs> Let's just say that this you... is a super upgrade. <laughs> yes, but for for a long time, you've you've placed yourself in these like monastic spaces, and this makes no sense. Like for you to go live in a cabin in the woods is like you're not an Emersonian kind of dude. Like that's not your. I don't think that's your gig. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> you're a social person. You're extremely social, and so for you to like subtract yourself from all that, it's just like it's just like me putting myself on the farm. So I did the same fucking thing. I, I I built this little reality where I could go up there and be I could not see a person all day, and that was the last thing in the world I wanted, and it's exactly where I put myself. Right. So so, you know, what is the process? It's interesting to be confronted by these realities by people who care about us. So what the fuck is the process of actually digging out of that emotional poverty and offering ourselves access? to the actual richness that is just sitting all around us. It's just like hovering, waiting to be accessed. Only we continue to just like put ourselves back in a hole and insist on believing these shitty, shitty things about ourselves that keep us buried in that space. Well, oddly, I think one of the interesting things as you were talking that occurred to me is how intellectually lazy people who are also known to be intellectually enterprising genuinely are and that there are sort of mechanical devices in life that others people watching your enterprise of living can say oh look how productive that person is and how smart they are or how they articulate their world so well and are useful at the same time somehow when it comes to actually delivering something to ourselves that's genuinely uplifting radically sweet um, makes you laugh uh, instead of saying when instead of saying well that's in, that's great you say yeah I'm stoked about that that seems somehow in my in my experience anyway that I put that over in the hard work pile and just didn't do it mm -hmm. this is a lot of like I said this is the story prison right somehow in my mind and it certainly wasn't that I consciously did it but somehow in my mind I identified that gaining that beautiful high ground required some effort that I was either unwilling or unable to provide. How that came about is, is a mystery I, I'm not even willing to try to figure out. Finding it out, recognizing that I got there, that I, you know, I mean, I think that's, I've, I'm sure it's been said to me before, but when somebody literally says, I'd like to see you stop living in poverty, and you know they're not talking about your living arrangement, mm -hmm. that's a pretty big summons. And it just happens at this moment in time, you and I are both in a similar place where when the summons is issued, we can actually hear it. And instead of offering the usual shrug, and resigned reaction to that, that we just, we know it's a good calling, but you know, we're just not up to it. Instead of doing that, we say, hmm, okay, I'm doing that. It's a mm -hmm. very odd, it's almost a complete schism with the way I lived. 
and I think subconsciously believe that's a weird idea, right? You don't, well, I, I can't speak for anybody else. I did not know I believed that I didn't get that, that that just wasn't, now I'm looking at it going, I never even thought that was on the table for myself, actually. The idea that I could have that sort of sweetness, uh, the sort of almost unhinged happy-go-luckiness that you see in some people where they, they're clearly just bright about living and they're not idiots, they're bright because mm -hmm. they're happy. I just didn't even, that was not an accessible component or something I even thought of reaching for. I think somehow inside myself, I just didn't believe it was available to me. It might be available to you, but somehow I didn't believe it was available to me. You did more than so, just, yeah, you did more than not believe it. You believe the opposite of it. That's what, that's what I think. That's what seems true to me is like, it's not just as simple as we don't believe we have access to these kinds of things. We actually believe that we don't, we cannot get them or we don't deserve them. As a don't deserve thing, I think is a fatuous notion. Why? Because that requires a sort of contemplative approach. No, that says, I, I don't mean these are conscious. I, I don't mean that these are conscious well, deserving statements. Or, to me, saying you deserve it is a conscious statement. To I say you know. just missed the boat and somehow locked yourself out of even considering that that was available. That's just, that's unconsciousness 101. That's where the, in the, well, this is my feeling for the moment. I think where it lives in the unconscious, there is a deep disregard for self, a deep disassociation with one's own goodness and richness that says you're not even able to get over to where that lives. Forget it. It's a province beyond your spiritual legs. Yeah, I agree with you about that. I agree about the unconsciousness. I think that all of us walk around in an in an unwoken up state carrying these. This is what what I the term I used earlier is from Eckhart Tolle. That's called he calls pain bodies. But it's like a you know imagine a a bubble of all the negative shit that you believe about yourself, and it's just encapsulated in you, and you carry it everywhere you go, and it's an unconscious expression of all of that literal kind of like physical shit that you that you're carrying around for from birth and childhood and all every all other things right and you poured it with you and if you can't wake up enough to look at it that's what's going to be acted on that's what's going to control you and run your life you know and i think that so i don't know about deserving i i i feel like there's something legitimate about deserving feeling like that you don't deserve or that you deserve the bad results you get or that you don't deserve to be loved or to be cared for or something like that. i think those are I think those are can be legitimate parts of that inherent, but you know, baked in. Think think about your own life. You get, uh, you know, somebody's like kicking your ass whenever he shows up, physically abusing you, and then disappearing. <laughs> like, what are you? You're supposed oh, to. Oh, that I, motherfucker! But oh, don't you think it's legitimate to think like in some part of you as a child baked in like you? Yeah, I get. You I deserve this. Idea. Yeah. Right. He he comes. He shows up. When he shows up, I get physically abused. Well, what am I supposed to take away from that experience as a child? The but, person who loves you theoretically is supposed to love you, abuses you, and oh, then bails on your right. mother. Sure. Who then carries forward the tradition by recusing yourself from life also. So right in front of your eyes, speaking of the monastic retreat, you watch somebody essentially go to work, go into their bedroom and disappear every fucking right. day. So yeah, there, there, there is that. I'm saying that I think it's important to put a screen between pop culture language artifices 
like deserve, which somehow mm -hmm. imply intent and a willingness to engage in that. And the artifacts of the inherited self, which you didn't even know you were getting painted white and tan. And you had no idea that you were wearing frog's ears and because the, the people around you, the adults responsible are just giving you that shit. You don't have a choice in it. You're too little. You don't, you can object. You can say, Hey, don't beat me. And then you get beaten some more. You don't know that what's happening is you're literally being cut, kitted out for life as a uh, monk. And your monastery is the deprivation from love of self. And that's fucking hardcore stuff. Yeah. And that's the only thing, difference. I, that, that's the differentiation I'm calling out. I'm saying, saying that one believes one deserves something is highly Catholic. I, I, I assign that to a, to a sort of very considered kind of notion of memorializing things. Saying that one in, inherits a story prison, you got a key in your hand, you can see the door. And you still don't let yourself out because somebody did tell you you deserve to be there. Now that deserving, the inherited inequity, I get that. That's that's what I'm getting at. That's that's what I I, I understand the angle, the guilt, and uh, other angle that you're talking about. It's, I meant the that last thing where you landed is what I mean by that feeling of deserve you know deserving what you get, the bad results that you get, because this is the way it looks to me. Like I like this I I, I like this model of of pain bodies or so there's something like something about that metaphor that feels tangible like a real object to me that is you interesting get to way get to... rid of it like a giant jar of jelly <laughs> no. that you discover no. in your pocket and you can just put it down because it's the pain <laughs> body and you can say good luck motherfucker no. have a great time i don't think you ever get to get rid of it but you get to make friends okay so i'm not down with that you're not, I, I why totally, are you not down with that? This seems I to me. I want to make friends with the pain body. Yeah, but you, this is the only way. Look, why um, does the pain body deserve friendship? Because it's part of you. You gotta, no, you know. Oh, oh, yes. no, maybe it's not. Yes, no, I. No, I totally it's disagree. A it's a hitchhiker. You open the door and shut it out. Out. No, no, no. no. It's, it's a. It's a, a front, it goes on the road in Montana. Out. No, it's a little kid that lives in your closet, and you just throw bread in there oh. and keep the closet shut. And if you just oh. actually get let the kid out of the closet, he's probably going to be a lot more content in there. Here's why I you don't. Should, it, you should never run a foster home for pain bodies. That's a definite thing. I don't need. I don't need to take any extras in. That's not necessary. But this is this is the um, the, the neatest and like, that would but, be the home body. Oh, <laughs> the tidiest formulation that I've ever seen of this is Thich Nhat Hans, where he just says, "No mud, no lotus." Right, which is like this typical Buddhist kind of way of saying it, but I think it it's very concise. And what I like about that is it's it makes it clear that like okay, you know, you don't get the beautiful shit without making friends with the dark shadowy shit. And the fact is, when you do make friends with the dark shadowy shit, it's fertile. It becomes fertile. It, it converts all of that stuff into something that actually can be productive and rich for your life. I think if you fight it, we've talked about this a million times. Like, what are you gonna, you know? What well, do you, you reinforce it? No, no, no. If you fight it, yeah, you, can't you reinforce go. it because you're it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> you cannot go aggressive with these no, kinds of things. No, because you bring they, the legions of the worst enemy you'll ever have. Is oh, they here. love that. They'll come back. Oh, they'll yeah. come back with all their cousins and oh, that's just yeah. that is my you know. fucking teeth get so badly broken. Because <laughs> those people are serious. They're serious people. The Klassen brothers are some serious people. <laughs> and you brought yeah. them all out. 
Yeah. I mean, thinking about, thinking about your, your parents and then you, and then me, like what I, you know, I realized like when you're acting from those places, think about Margaret. So this is your mom, my grandmother. She never had, she never got anywhere near self-awareness of this kind of shit. But think about like what went into her. She's an orphan. She gets adopted. She gets taken back to the orphanage and dropped back <laughs> off because she's unsatisfactory. Second family adopts her. They take her in. I mean, just like, it does not take... <laughs> and then she becomes a crazy, obsessive Catholic. Like, it doesn't take a lot of oh, analysis. And then, she, and then the boyfriend who she marries is in a prison camp. She finds out he didn't die. He comes back. You know, he's on leave three years. Three children are with, gets left. And then he bails on her, too. Which is exactly what she expected. And deserved, right? In Back this, down in that to way your original deserving thing. Exactly, exactly. Uh-huh. No, but I mean, that's but that's that's the point I'm trying to look deeply into. Is like, okay, when we're when we're behaving unconsciously with this shadow or with this pain body or whatever you want to call it, ego, when we're behaving out of that unconscious place, we naturally it 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 uses us in a sense to reach out and validate itself so we're going to in relationships with romantic relationships in every aspect of our lives we're going to we're going to go and look for something that makes sure that that story prison we've got ourselves yeah, in well, is a, true yeah that's it well this is i mean so knowing that we're simply capitalizing on you know 5 to 7000 years of Eastern and Western awareness that human beings are locked in a desperate one time only fist fight with themselves in which you're not sure whether failure or success out in your play because you're in a body which is apparently occupied by at least two other characters, one of which represents everything good for you, and the other one which capitalizes on everything bad as though it was a banking holiday. It's a really powerful fact that we're discussing something that has been speculated about and known to be the bane of human existence for as long as people have reported back from the frontiers of it, which is all good, all bad. And this whole notion of the duality of mankind, uh, the obsession of philosophers and uh, solid thinkers, lightweight thinkers, Sunday tea drinkers, bullshit people, cheap suit serenaders for millennia, Mm -hmm. turns out to be simple and observable truth, which is there is an element of self which appears to be mightily given to self-destruction and another element of self which is engaged in the direct enterprise of making wings on a potato and getting you the fuck out of there into happy land. Mm-hmm. This is a very powerful um, ancient struggle. The cool thing about this moment in my life and maybe this moment in your life is we get an opportunity to talk about that. And there's very there are very few people, regardless of race, creed, color, ethnic beginnings, monetary status, who don't have some collision with this in their life. This is what's great about this conversation and this subject is it's common. And and the the cool opportunity I think we have in scratching the earth on this and our little, you know, atomic level part of the global conversation been going on forever is that we can say you don't have to stay there. Mm-hmm. Story prison once discovered is actually something you can walk out of. You don't have to break out of it. You can literally just walk away from the thing. Here's the cruelty of it. 
once that person said that to me, and I and you and I have talked about story prison. I started I started thinking about this like before I got cancer, maybe two years ago. Mm-hmm. This whole idea of story prison has has been very powerful for me because I realized I was trapped in it, and I realized that I didn't have to be because I was of my making. And it's a powerful set of stories, so it was difficult even knowing that to open the door. I get out, I'm in the open space. The first thing I started doing is I'm running away from the thing and it's saying, come back, we've got meals for you, a warm place to sleep, we even know your name, (laughs) is that you're running across the open space, picking up loose pieces of wood, a hammer, some nails, and rapidly constructing on the run the next room in the story prison. This is so Mm -hmm. fucked up. So, so the question is not just seeing this, seeing that part of being, recognizing you're deprived, desiring to be enlightened and enlivened and emboldened and beautiful and grow the wings, is that the other part is immediately there, hip to it, and saying, wait a second, you know, three hots in a cot right over here. In the next story prison. Yeah. <laughs> or the same or the same one with a different entrance. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's like a giant remodeling project. This keeps the wing of the house just keeps being built just to accommodate the same old guest. <laughs> yeah, that's what's. I mean, I think I agree with you. That's one. It's it's a nice way of describing it. The way it feels to me is like there's two there's two integral levels of the of the thing. the The first is almost like archaeological. It's just just dig. You got, you know, you just get to get, you find the things, you know, first you got to find the shit. Yeah. And that's just digging. That's just looking at yourself and really thinking about these things and going through and sitting with it and, and going like, what, you know, I, I have this injury. I have some hurt. Where did it come from? What's the original spot of it? What's the, just to try and go down the levels to find like, okay, this is this thing I keep telling myself. Oh, look, I see it. I can see it now. But seeing it is just the beginning because it's faster than you it's more aggressive than you so the minute you take your eye off of it <laughs> it's back you know it's back and fully investing it so i had I, so i had this hilarious instance of this and so and so the second part of that just to follow the thought the first part is like archaeology dig the dig that just identifying the shit and the second part is finding a way to maintain conscious attention to it, you know, to to bring it into the present moment and go like, what are the tools I can actually use to keep my eye on this, to keep some consciousness and also some equanimity, like the Buddhists would say about it, right? No attachment. Yeah, to to, to maintain concentration enough that I can see, I can see you, you know, I can see that thing in myself and then, and that I can have enough distance from it to go like, I see what it's doing. And, and to have a, if you have any reactivity to it at all, to let it be just a sort of amusement almost, you know, rather Uh, than, rather than like, because it is (laughs) fundamentally hilarious sometimes. So this, here's a story about one recently. So, um, my significant romantic person in my life is somebody who has a lot of um, energy and she's very challenging and, and, uh, devilish sometimes and just like very very fun and every once in a while she'll throw something my way this was happening consistently and it was really bothering me I couldn't figure out what the fuck it was and it'll be like something that's almost like a riddle or a or a, just a little like it can be something as simple as like well we both know what the tastiest part of the chicken is right <laughs> 
And in those, and which and is you didn't know that. <laughs> right. No, but here's what would happen. Here's what would happen at that moment. Was medallions instead of going like right? Yeah. So right. There's a lot of possible answers to this. There doesn't have to be one answer to what's the tastiest part of the chicken. But when she would throw something like that my way, here's the mechanism that would spin up so fast that I wasn't actually seeing it at first. I would get really anxious. She'd say something silly like that, and I would get really anxious, and my I would feel like to get the right answer. Ten, I <laughs> yes, absolutely to get the right answer. And here's the here's the fucking hilarious part about it is I literally was feeling in those moments like if I didn't get the right if the answer was fried chicken skin, and, and I didn't say well obviously it's fried chicken skin it's the tastiest part of any chicken you know if I did if I didn't know the answer to that. I felt like our whole relationship was on the line. At the entirety of our relationship, I felt like, oh, if I don't get this right right now, the whole thing is so contingent and, and, and like so riding on such a thin edge that if I don't answer this correctly, and, and obviously like she knows the answer, and I better agree that it's the right answer, right? That the whole thing could be just like, duh, pat, you know, over. See, you, that, this is proof that you would have been a perfect candidate for the new schooling method proposed by our present, you know, king of queen of, of schooling. Earmuffs and blinders <laughs> sitting in a refrigerator. <laughs> so you have no sense of anything is real. <laughs> but I think it's a, I think it's a wonderful little, illustration of how powerful my story prison was at that moment which is and my story my the the core of my story prison is basically like you're not really lovable so you better be proving it every minute of every day because if you don't if you stop for a second proving it to this person it's a well, quiz yeah it's a, quiz. it's a pop quiz but it's a terminal <laughs> pop quiz and and if you find if you fuck up the answer it is all over pal and you go back to getting exactly what you deserve what you believe about yourself which is no more relationships with anyone because you don't really deserve those because you, you know and so it's amazing though right here's to your see hand. something that's the, that's the here's your handgun prize <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> but the amazing thing about the severity of that conditioning is just that like in those mo it feels literally like a survivability like i'm i'm experiencing physically a like flight or fright or flight response to wow. something that's just a hilarious like what it really is it's just hilarious Right, that I can take something that trivial and I can spin it in a nanosecond up to something that feels like existentially, yeah, it feels like existentially dangerous yeah. to me, right? And yeah. so I was doing that over and over with these trivial interactions with her. And give me another one. I just want to hear another one. Because <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have died. I knew the answer. But <laughs> that's out. That's that's out. See, because that was your existential crisis. That was not mine. Mine no, was you, you, you don't have a shower and nobody's going to love you because you haven't got a fucking shower. You know, that's there what, you go. When they, when they come over, you can't actually invite them to use the toilet if they'd like to because there's not one that's working. Right. You'll never yeah. have any, you know. Your, it's the your... same shit, though. That's the thing. It's the same shit. Like whatever, whatever you're finding a way to interact with that spins you up into that level of distress and anxiety, it doesn't even matter. Because it's because it's all just the this thing, oh, worming, no. getting away in and and finding a place a purchase with you finding a little foothold and going like ah this is a good moment when I can get you and like and and it's oh when, but what is think about that how what? do you here's like the the, the the crux question there is not just understanding you're in story prison not just 
realizing you don't even have to break out, you can walk out, but not going back to story prison. How does, how does that thing, the pain body, the rumor monger of your own inadequacy, the, uh, uh, horrible demon of self-loathing, whatever we name that thing, there has got to be a series of methods and of an ongoing means of essentially silencing that tyrant to make more room. Because here's the interesting thing. If you're constantly taking the Buddhist approach, you're paying too much attention to the fucker. You're kind of, it's going, Rawr, and you're going, yeah, Rawr, yeah. So it's just a closed loop of you're consumed by trying to seek the solution instead of saying, no, and that's the end of it for some time. Even in the next three or four iterations, it comes around because it's always working to find a new trapdoor. Um, but but this, this, there needs to be some, for me, the thing I'm interested in is what is a lasting, um, at least palliative, Mm-hmm. that quiets that self-destroying super secure voice that you are nothing that you are worthless what is that thing that brings me in from the boundary of goodness unless we live in the middle of goodness most of the time i suspect you've already found the answer to this question in certain respects though think about think about your sobriety if it's okay to talk about that oh yeah it's certainly okay to talk about that it seems to me that the, the real answer to that question is you don't have enough tools yourself. And I don't know if any of us ultimately have enough tools by ourselves to, because look, as we just said, like com- being in a combative frame with, with that shadow of yourself, you're fucked. You're, you're going down. That thing's not going to lose to you because you're not fast enough. It has, it ha- on me, you know, it's got 45 years advance warning of me getting to this place. I've got a couple right. of years of awareness into like actually going, Oh shit, this is, I, I didn't even know this thing existed. And here I am. I'm not going to get in a fist fight with that thing. It, it will right. work me. It's not, it, I don't have a chance. So yeah, that's the same thing <clears throat> as with sobriety. You can't have a conversation with a 4,000 year old winner. Yeah. So what do you do? So uh, you know, what's worked for you all these years is communities. Yeah. Right. That I get, think get it. Get a bigger. Yeah. Get a get get a bigger self. You, you're not going to get rid of yourself, but get a bigger self. Append. Append. Yeah. And I think ultimately that's somehow or other that's the truth of all of the other aspects of this shit as well. Is if we think you can duke it out with this stuff on your own, you're probably wrong. And you're well, the main. It's and it's an interesting, right? It's a, a constant, right? So humans have discovered through time. They do better in groups, and uh, and for a variety of reasons, not not merely the manifest safety of them in numbers against possible enemies or various other threats. Mm-hmm. There's the idea that if you are suffering, you can turn to someone else, and they actually have some notion of what you're talking about, even if they don't have any experience of it. They know down in their deep mystical body, down in the deep mystery of of themselves, they relate somehow and mm-hmm. that's why these all these healing things religious groups um self-help societies uh whatever they are however mm-hmm. they manifest them, scout groups whatever they manifest themselves as are all based on that same tribal g- gathering together to be better than the force of aloneness yeah 
This is, I mean, I think this is one of the huge challenges of our times because the fact is that the the economic system, the, the global culture that we have sort of constructed uh, does exactly the opposite of that, right? Think about, I, so... Um, Deconstruct society. Well, I, so at the end of that book that you and I have both read that's called Dreamland, which is about the heroin epidemic yeah. in, mm-hmm. in the U.S., which is a great book, and I heartily recommend it. It is it. a great book. He, he comes to the conclusion at the end that heroin is almost the perfect drug for, for current-day American society because where it leaves you is by yourself in a room with the drug. And yeah, that's it's the it's the opt out. Yeah, yeah, we, which is the perfect suicidal metaphor for our whole culture, right? And so I think what the, the conclusion that I've come to is okay. Well, at the end of the day, like this, you're not. None of us are. Uh, if you're a water droplet, and you would like to get from the mountains to the ocean, and you try and get there by yourself, it's not going to happen. You are going to evaporate very soon. But no self-respecting <laughs> water droplet would try that. <laughs> okay, let's just stipulate for the sake of argument that this particular water droplet has a conscious, is conscious and has intent and would like to get to the ocean. It, if it wants to get to the ocean, right, it's going to have to get together with a bunch of other water droplets and make some sort of migration. Otherwise, you know, other, yeah. okay, it's a silly metaphor in some so ways, but you know what I mean. It will either a rain cloud or a river. Yeah. In the end, that's it. Those are its options. Exactly. So and I think that is, uh, on some level, we know this about ourselves, and we've known this for thousands and thousands of years, and yet we have this weird relationship with that with that consciousness oh, yeah. where we, we, we fight it. We want to, you know, I don't know. Maybe, okay, so maybe like getting back to your life and your experience, like whether it's heroin or, or any other thing, like where does addiction inevitably yeah, lead yeah, to? Yeah, I remember. Isolation. My thing, just want to make this caveat. In, I will talk about anything about my sobriety with, with great openness and, and, and some charm. However, just want to make sure everybody needs somebody to look down on, and I look down <laughs> on heroin addicts. So that was, that's just, want to make sure, you know, you got to have somebody who you can drool on and get up and say, whoa, this fucking guy. Um, <laughs> so, I, I, with respect, that's the one thing I didn't... <laughs> with respect. You know, when they said, well, well, you know, when they said, what do you... When they, when I went to meetings, the best answer I ever was, okay, back of the room, somebody said, well, what was your drug of choice? And at the back of the room, you hear this dude say, what have you got? <laughs> okay. That's, <laughs> so, yeah. that's maybe the... <laughs> The only honest answer. Exactly, because if you're one of those, I mean, the only reason I didn't do heroin was because I had to have somebody to look down on. It wasn't because I said, oh, heroin, that's evil. It's just like, you know, who am I going to sneer at or piss on if I if I do that? No, no stabbing yourself. The one thing I will not leave behind is my ability to judge a subset of humanity <laughs> as much harshly. as I want, harshly and as often as I like. I'm going to keep right. that. I'm holding on to it. Right. So no heroin. <laughs> that was my that was my noble compromise. I'll put anything in here, but I won't inject it in here. I'm not doing that. <laughs> exactly. I will put that up my butt. You bet. Right now. <laughs> and that you know that delivery system did work, but you know. <laughs> Just saying. Um, <laughs> so, but I, but I think like getting back to where, you, what, what your question was, like, I think it's interesting. I think I'm, I'm interested in this because like you already found the answer to that in some part of your life because it was life threatening. 
you got to, you know, that, that particular component had you locked into something that you could actually see some, somewhere you got to the point where you could actually tangibly see, oh, oh, I'm actually get, this is actually going to be done and I don't, I won't have any more time to work right. on any of this stuff. It's no this, longer an existential crisis. That's, you know, but it's a different kind of crisis. It's, yeah. you know, you're finished. Yeah. Mortal. Well, I don't know what the right way yeah. to put that is. Yeah. Well, just, so, yeah. End of, end of self. But you so what? Mirror, you already can't see anybody. <laughs> it's really, <laughs> it's, it's really disturbing. <laughs> so, in, but in that process, you know, like, so you did, you know, it, it, in a weird way, like a lot of the pieces are already there in that system. Maybe not all of them, because uh, yeah, it's not, no, it's not I, like purpose-built. I think, you know, edging toward, you're right. I, I, I believe that I have been, and I'm maybe not even edging. I believe there are big periods of time where I spent, like the first 10 years I was sober, I went to meetings every day. I had no issue with it. It did not interfere with anything I was doing. Um, mm -hmm. No aspect of my life wasn't more full for having been sober and been around that group of people. Um, because I wasn't so, I was actively trying to, let's see, I was actively doing just what we're talking about. I was actually working to remain in the new thing and stay away from story prism. If I look at it from today, back at the, that was an active and ongoing labor to remain free. For, just simple as that. Yeah. Just freedom versus imprisonment. And, and, and recently what I realized is I somehow worked my way back into prison and, uh, now I'm out this conversation right now. The two of us are out right now. Actually, we're wandering around. We're still near the building, but we're wandering around. We have some materials, building materials and some tools. We could rapidly build like you were talking about, which part of the chicken is the, you know, which part of the chicken is the best. It's like, no, I'm not sure I do. But if I get this wrong, I'm so fucked. Yeah, and so that isn't really the because you've seen it it isn't really the prison yet it's the threat of the prison it's you saying I don't like that I don't want that I, I'm exposing you you fake you cheat you less than me me you know but this is pretty weird stuff actually I mean we're not taught in school how to discuss ourselves as multiple personalities with some safety. There isn't any social mm -hmm. security in telling most people, hey, I'm aware that the nature of being human leads me to experience my own life as though I was living it from several different directions, almost simultaneously. That's not in the, you know, freshman refresher course on, psycholog on psychological acceptance. And it doesn't usually make for easy reading in the human experience. It's hard to get to that. It requires work. Yeah, but I still feel like I feel like the place you keep coming back to is doesn't feel right to me. Like you keep coming back to this oppositional place somehow, where there's like just like what you just said, like as if it's multiple personalities. But I don't think that's a good way to think. I don't about think it. it's multiple personalities. I think okay. it's the same personality. It's yeah. different aspects of self. Yeah, exactly. We're not several people. We're, there's no schism between the part of me that is forgetful and thoughtless and mean spirited and accidental and self-destructive and the part of me that's loving and kind and that those are all aspects of the same person. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yes. I a hundred percent agree with that. So I, yeah. I, I just was clear. I was just clarifying because yeah, no, 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 I'm yeah. not a schizophrenic. I, I, the weird thing is that we display many facets. This is more the gemstone idea. 
you get a gemstone, it's rough. It's already got facets. All that jeweler does is make those evident and create brilliance by way, the way light gets thrown around in the thing. But there were already facets in a rough stone. It's just that they weren't refined. So all of us have these facets. There's no one that has got a single facet. That would mean it was that we were one-dimensional. We are not. The second you start talking about protoplasm and consciousness, you're talking about faceted objects. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Yeah, that's a given. I like what you said about liberty, liberty versus imprisonment, because I think ultimately, like that feel that really resonates with me. That's what that's what it feels like. This comes down to when you're when we're awake, even talking about this, like we are talking about it right now, is an act of self liberation. Is a moment oh, of expressing ourselves out of liberty, and I think when we flip into that other state and we are unconscious, or we're operating from those old places, we aren't free. We aren't. Well, here's the interesting question that follows that. Then, is is a an ongoing rebellion against that aspect of self required to remain free? Is is does do do we have a sort of spiritual? It's not chaotic, but it's a rebellious self that's constantly making sure to get a deep breath and 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 maintain that sense of liberty. Is that is that sort of a spiritual requirement in order to stay free? I, I, there be some yeah. sort of rebellion. Well, I don't like. I, I once again don't like rebellion, but I I think work. Ooh, I'm much more in favor of rebellion than work. I mean, well, <laughs> <laughs> that's just because of your bad boy nature. You can't have you. Yeah, yeah. No, one of them just means fits of endeavor. No, but you know why? Here's here's why here's why here's why I object to it because once again, it feel it feels combative. It feels like something you're struggling against, which I don't think is I don't think well, that's good for us. Yeah, I think maybe that's part of the struggle I've been having. Well called out. This is really true. I, I will completely concede that that's a true thing. So here's why uh, I am so given to agree. Recently, I've been realizing that all my life, these things that I, the way I've come at many of the things that are very challenging has been very fierce. Yeah. A real, like, and, and, you know, this is true. Um, yeah. And in, in this recent tr- attempt at becoming more conscious I recognized one morning, and this is a couple of weeks ago, after one of our conversations, actually, I recognized that that ferocity was not the approach to this new element that was not going to refresh me, mm-hmm. that I was not going to feel it's springtime, and I wasn't going to feel the breeze. It's springtime, and I wasn't going to get to swim naked in it. It's springtime, and I wasn't going to get to enjoy the Bacchanal or the picnic. Because that's not what ferocity brings you. It brings you exhaustion and uh, fear and all these other things. So I sort of went to one side of the house of self and I opened the windows and doors and I went to the other side and I just invited whatever that was to leave. And I just believe, and you're right, absolutely right, and you're just reminding me that I basically sort of said, that old way isn't going to work for this. What if I just let the winds of my own change sweep the house clean? Hmm. How would that be? That wouldn't involve me being what you're like you're saying. It wouldn't involve a struggle. It wouldn't be combative. It would mean that there was no enemy and that story prison just went away. We just swept away. Like fresh air just came in. 
There's just no room for a bad smell to remain in an air where there's flowing room. It just goes. Hmm. It's carried away. Right? There's nothing. There's nothing to replace it but more air. But it just happens to be free, sweeter air, fresher air. It's not contaminated with that scent of fear, the stench of the past, whatever that is. So you're right. I I take that point. Good work. <laughs> no, no punching. This is punching is not suitable. Well, I think there's something about it that's, um, I love that idea of just, you know, making friends with the, sh with these shadowy places. You know, we, we cannot, we cannot aggress our way into accommodating those parts of ourselves. There, there, it will, I don't think it will ever really be successful in actually welcoming them in because that's the, the only answer we cannot, we can't get these things of our, these parts of ourselves to really go away. They don't go okay, away. So, but what, okay, I'm down with, I'm, I'm down. Yeah, I mean, it's like, why do I not drink? Because I'm pretty sure shit-faced Bob never went anywhere. You know, Steve, that's how I used to characterize this this character. Steve did mm. not go anywhere. No. Steve Steve just is taking a long nap on the back porch. You know? And Steve has got the meth pipe. It's like that Richard Pryor monologue in the, in the Sunset movie where he's thinking the pipe just says, Rich. Come on, let's just have a, you know, let's just you and I have a little smoke and we'll work it out. Fuck them. They don't know anything. It's just the two of us, right, Rich? You know, it's like Steve's on the back porch just going, he'll come around. He'll come around. The door will be ajar one yeah. day. And, and more specifically, I'll wait until he's lived by himself up in the woods for long enough. <laughs> and he's real, and he's real lonely. And then I'll, that's what, that'll be a good. <laughs> or he's down and he's more around people, but he still doesn't it's have fun. a shower. <laughs> he's still living like he's a monk you know it's all the same shit right it'll yeah. that's that's what i mean this that stuff is that will wait it will wait as long as it needs to wait right it will right. wait it will and the, the, i have the same kinds of things I, I i i happily haven't had to go down that particular discrete path of uh of substance abuse but there's plenty of other shit that i find lots and lots of ways to make myself alone and confront my, you know, put oh, myself yeah. in situations that are uh, pr so profoundly uncomfortable that it keeps me stuck in that same r routine. Right. But you know, it's a very comfy, familiar uh, thing. Oh, yeah. the, the, well, the, you know, suffering is, is not desperately in need of new companions. It's basically, <laughs> it's, it's born into a, you know, a large human family. Hey, here I am. <laughs> yeah, come on in. I was too busy being happy. I think maybe I'll just feel a little fucked up for a while. Oh, can I stay? <laughs> sure, there's a couch. <laughs> no, I want to sleep in your bed. Um, but I think well, I think we're touching on something on the sort of heart of the matter, right? It seems to me that what you're saying is completely in line with what I've been considering. At some point, we have to say, not just getting out of story prison, what is it? And in my case, what you've just pointed out is a combative resource is not the right tool to bring to a rich and sweet life. The tools to bring to the rich and sweet life are compassion and humor and joyful engagement and a willingness to put down one's judgments and a hesitation in favor of 
listening to things which one would previously have dismissed out of hand even before hearing them. And so all the other weapons that keep that uh, combative self enshrined as the place where the conversation takes place, which means the fistfight never stops, which means that the malevolent actor, the, 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 the ill body, not the well body, is still there, that it's just slime jacket. You know, mm-hmm. and and uh, you're not doing anything. You're not in the shower. Mm-hmm. You're, you may be handling it, but you're just smearing it around. Well, you feel. I think. I think in those moments you feel active, but the fact is you're not free. No, you're just active, and that's one of the tools of that aspect of self. That it's a, it gives you the illusion of doing something, and in fact, all you're doing is moving the material around. It's still just where it was and nothing has really changed you've you've merely taken something and moved it from point a to point b but it still remains on you in you of you and and this is a powerful thing so so let's talk about what we can do this conversation for instance is the kind of balm that we can bring to this thing which is the exposure of it i mean as we're talking i feel very happy that I'm in the conversation that I'm in, mm-hmm. that this is, that the thing is exposed. It's sitting out there and it doesn't have much to say right now. And part of that evidence was when you said, I'm still not satisfied with the combative response, I could say, yeah. And I mean, could immediately feel the relief of that. Well, that's out. So that's a, that's a real right this minute sense and it's a result of this conversation which basically brings sweetness into consciousness instead of wishing sweetness was in the consciousness it's actually delivering yeah well what i like about that too what you what you just said is that it's something that i've been really feeling profoundly i don't know in the past year or so which is just like (laughs) this isn't a head game this is this is this is the about your body that we are in that we are and so when you feel the difference between those states you feel it you know it has a physical yeah. manifestation you literally you you can feel lightened up you can feel in a different place and so oh, yeah. i think that's actually like another part of the answer is just like act just trusting how your body feels you know that's a crazy simple thing to say but i didn't know about that shit for almost all of my life i would wake up sick to my stomach with no other illness and just go like huh that's funny and just blow it off like no investigation no curiosity about why right. that might be the case i would feel anxiety and not even yeah. put to, put together that this feeling i was experiencing in my body had something to do with this psychic spiritual state that I just didn't, you know, didn't make any of those connections. So just having the simple, that, that simple awareness of connecting, you know, how I feel, you know, the actual energetic nature of myself is, is something you can rely on something. Here's the greatest part of what you just said. The greatest part of what you just said is, The conversation as it has evolved and the point of the conversation, I'm glad you decided this was a, a, a great point to take off from because it's really been with me a lot recently. And we've, you and I have talked about it a lot, this whole question of the, the poverty self, the impoverished self. Mm-hmm. 
is that we are actually right now, this second, embodying relief. Mm -hmm. The magical ability of humans to simply be delivered from impoverishment at the most fundamental level. And this is interesting because most poverty isn't like that. Most poverty is grinding and has to do with basics that are fundamental, like food mm. and sanitation and a lack of love or crushing fear because the circumstances political and otherwise are just violent and directly menacing. And this is something, this emotional poverty is something we can actually do away with in the moment now. We don't have to wait. We don't have to rely upon the largesse of others. We, it's a pretty beautiful uh, idea that the, this is the gift of giving in a way that is really abundant, in a way that says, oh, uh, how great. When you start with, not, with, with realizing that you've been living in poverty and you have a desire to change that state, that's the least compatible way to say it, just a desire to change that state, to author a different life for yourself. That any human being can do that anytime because the external circumstances don't have to do with the house of self. They're not in here. That remodeling that, that is in the house of self can happen anytime. Mm -hmm. You know, it reminds me of a, of a remark that, um, a friend of mine once made to me, I came to this house and this is a beautiful person. And she said, I'm crushed. I feel like I've lost my faith. And I remember in an odd moment of inspired weirdness, I just walked in and started tossing the house. And she followed me and I was taking the, throwing the pillows off the couch and turning the furniture on its side. She said, what in the world are you doing? I said, nothing is ever lost in the house of self. It just must be misplaced. <laughs> and I realize that what we're talking about right now isn't some external thing. It's never been lost in the house of self. We just misplaced it. And the beauty of that is that means we can find it anytime because it didn't go anywhere. It's not lost. We're just forgetful. How cool is that? You're right. Combat is not the answer for this thing. Basically, it's just remembering that it's ours to have instead of thinking we don't deserve it in whatever context you make that. That's a pretty beautiful, thanks for this conversation, that's pretty fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> Made my day.
Geese appear high over us, pass, and the sky closes. Abandon, as in love or sleep, holds them to their way, clear in the ancient faith. What we need is here. And we pray, not for a new heaven or a new earth, but to be quiet in heart and in eye, clear. What we need is here. Wendell Berry. I love that idea that we actually have everything we need. We're enough already, always. It's hard to keep that in focus sometimes in these confusing, confusing and very chaotic days, but it's still true. Thanks for listening and spending the time with us. If you want to get in touch, email us, S-E-N-E-C-A-K-L-A-S-S-E-N at gmail.com. I hope you'll keep checking in. See what's on hook for next time. Thanks. Bye. Get a